Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get anybody's attention today. What's up, Matt? Right. But <laughs> then, then another Matt. And so, you know, today we're going to discuss artificial intelligence startups. And I think that the first thing we're going to do is get the AI to determine which Matt we're talking to today. Because with us, we've got Matt Moody, the CEO of Bellwether. Hi, Matt's. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody says hi at once. I know. Oh, man. So, yeah, I guess it's, this is a little confusing as well, because if you say, well, Matt. You can call me Matthew today. I don't let anybody. Do you let anybody? I, I answer to that one, though, too. Do you? Yeah. I don't let. I, I don't. The only person that ever called me Matthew was my grandmother. Bless her heart. She's not with us anymore. Yeah. That, and with that, I became good old Matt. All right. So, Matt Moody, Mr. Moody, I'm, I'll just call you Master Watson. All right. Master Watson. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, before we get started, I do need to re- let everyone know that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a software development team quickly and affordably. While you're checking us out at Fullscale.io, I also want you to go to Bellwether, B E L L W E T H R. Dot com so you can get a better idea of what Matt Moody does over there. And I'm going to give him a few minutes to go ahead and give us the breakdown. Welcome back, by the way. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. So you want the overview? Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's see. It's been, it's been about 150 episodes <laughs> since you were in here before. And for it's the, if you want to go search through the feed, there was a, uh, I, I believe we discussed machine learning before we've had a couple of rounds at that, but you do some interesting stuff. So I think it'd probably be best to assume that people need an update. Sure. Yeah. So um, in a sense, sort of our summary is that it's uh, basically like autopilot for customer attention. Um, So we have a suite of artificial intelligence applications that are um, focused on different points in the customer lifecycle and, and sort of figure out what to do in those scenarios um, in order to, uh, you know, basically come out with a better outcome, a better outcome regarding yeah, regarding largely retention. The customer continues on the customer continues on at the same price point or package or, or, or potentially upgrades. Okay. So to, to break it down for the real people, bellwether helps businesses not churn their customers. Yep. Not lose customers. Yeah. Which is an important part, uh, largely because keeping the clients or customers you have is, more affordable than finding new ones, right? So when I was at Einstein Brothers yesterday and it took them 22 minutes to give me six bagels, that should have been a red flag probably in some system somewhere of like their customer service sucks and they might lose some customers. How would they even measure that? Their receipts, their tracking system. I have my receipt and then it goes through their little system and they track the orders and they know when they finished it. They know how they know. 22 minutes. They know to buy six bagels. Yes. Yeah, wow. you should have gotten a you know notification that said apologies for the delay and did here's they, a discount. Did they make the bagels for I you while know, you man. waited? Is that the problem? 
But I mean, those are the kinds of signals in the noise, right? Let's say they have a thousand restaurants, they'll be able to see, okay, and one in this thousand, probably going to have some customer service problems now. So overall, machine learning and artificial intelligence are all the rage when it become when it comes to startups. Uh, I've mentioned a few times along the over the last who knows how many episodes, but when I was out at uh, TechCrunch in October. 2019 it was like every place every every display we stopped at had the words our machine learning algorithm and it became kind of a joke you know because like it was like everything had it i felt like it was a little oversold i doubt that in no way were all of those people actually doing true machine learning stuff or artificial intelligence but i mean almost everyone seemed to be representing it as we discuss AI startups, can you give us like you actually do the stuff and you're an expert on the, you're a subject matter expert on it. So what determines whether or not you're using machine learning slash artificial intelligence? Well, that's that that's subjective. Right. Um, well, so. that's my point. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Because I was going to say right when you were talking about how everybody did, you know, everybody says they have it. And I'm like, well, linear aggression isn't all that difficult. And. I mean, depends on who you ask. That can be machine learning. Well, what is linear regression? So a linear regression model? Yeah. Like, yeah, basically you're going to predict a, a, a value that's you know, sort of linear. Building like a, a, a forecast and a chart kind of, right? Like, Yeah. Do, yeah. I mean, you you sort of look at it as a like forecast you, line and a chart and it should be above or below the forecast. Like simple math yeah. equation. Yep. I used a, a really basic example, like on Gigabook, after you use it for about a week, it'll just put your most popular service at the top of the drop down, so you don't have to like drop it down. I was like, on some levels, we could call that machine learning, but it's not. It's artificial I'm, intelligence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's like the, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, you know, what do they say? Like artificial intelligence, the, you know, it's sort of like you just keep moving the goalposts. Once you get closer, then it's like, oh, you know, it's not really as good as me at doing it, but yeah. Okay. A better algorithm. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I think that so many of the of the companies, the, the early stage businesses that we stopped and talked to, and, you know, I'm not, you know, taking jabs at them, but I think that you know, saying that they're using a lot of the stuff is, you know, an attempt to feel a lot more cutting edge and to attract investors in a space that is pretty hot. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the big challenge, and this is one of the things that we ran into is that... Um, I mean, Bellwether sort of originated as a technology innovation. So we were innovating on machine learning itself. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, what we kind of learned along the way was that's not exactly that that's not easy to sell. Um, you have to have some sort of value proposition that's specific to, you know, some problem. And so machine learning is most of the applications of it are that's it, a feature. It's not really a full product. So that's why, um, you know, when I said that we're, we handle customer retention, that's really the, the problem that we solve. Now we're applying machine learning so to when, that. So when you started out, what exactly were you, were you doing then? You Like a new type of algorithm or something, but you didn't know what to do with the algorithm or like no. where did that start? So uh, really what it started with was that at the very beginning, I was actually just using um, a classification type model to predict uh, the risk score, the the likelihood of a customer canceling a service. Okay. Um, and in building machine learning models, there's sort of like a training process, which mm -hmm. is the, hey, we're going to find the patterns in the data. And then there's the inference, which is now we're going to go use it. And we're going to compare new instances against the patterns from the old, where 
you kind of knew an outcome. The, the innovation for us was that, um, that process of going back. So once you take a model, you train it on this old set of data and you deploy it and you start using it. Well, it's not learning anything else. So as time moves on and you have new data coming in, you, you're adding more information and technically it's the most relevant because it's brand new. It's, it's, you know, what's going on right now. That's not included in your model. So you have to go back and train again. And so I just got annoyed with that whole process of, Hey, I've got to run this batch process at the beginning, deploy it. And then I got to go back and do it again, back and forth, back and forth. So what we did was uh, basically came up with a way to do it in continuous to where we could continuously train the model at the same time. So we can train it once, deploy it, then continue training it while it's deployed instead of having to pull it back down and run sort of that manual process again. Does that, does that let you put definitive marks in the timeline so you can also measure if you're actually getting better based on the data that has been provided? Yeah, absolutely. So you can continue with your validation. So the validation is like your, where you, you basically are testing uh, known outcomes. Like you can say, hey, I knew that guy. I knew that customer left. We'll send it over and we'll see, you know, what would be the prediction on that? And, okay. and then you, you basically will be able to see, okay, hey, it's, it's selecting this, this customer did indeed, did indeed leave. When you were here before we were, I think we were using a phone company or something as an example. Yeah. Telecommunications. Yeah. That was sort of our, the origin for us. And you know, that certain triggers like someone calling in to customer support or so many calls within X amount of time would often correlate to a client or a user ending their subscription per se. And so at that point, when you look at old data compared to new data, it, it, what your company does is create alerts or different kinds of information that says, Hey, if this, this occurs, we're a little different. You might want to get proactive. It's a little different now. So one of the things we learned in doing that since, since the last time I was here, we kind of talked about retention sort of as a general, you know, sort of an ocean problem. And our solution at the time was, was sort of a boil the ocean. Hey, find out, you know, there's a problem. Um, since then, what we figured out was that, you know, there's all these little events that happen throughout the customer lifecycle. And what we do now is that we'll use the different kind of, uh, it's now we're using a different kind of machine learning known as reinforcement learning, where we want to take the pattern in the data. And then we want to figure out, okay, of 10 different things you could do with, with a customer, which one of those in, when you combine that with the pattern of the customer and their behavior results in them continuing on for 30 days, 60 days, maybe upgrading. So we figure out which of those actions and we trigger them automatically. Okay. And so what we're doing now is that we, we've figured out little events that happen in sort of general, and then we'll tie in what we call an engine, which is just one of these, one of these models. Um, we'll tie it into these events. So for example, I'll, I'll get this into something tangible here. Uh, the, 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 come on, man, this makes sense to all of us. <laughs> this is, this isn't perfectly natural and yeah. intuitive. The event that we found that's the most effective place to start is the cancel. Mm-hmm. So when you've got your subscription to whatever it is and you move to cancel, the, you know, the sort of two schools of thought, there's the, Hey, now I'm going to make them call me, which is the sort of hostage holding. Then, then you also have the, Hey, here, just click the button and you're on. So I did that with like my HBO subscription. 
after Game of Thrones was over, cancel nothing. So uh, what we do now is that we connect to that. We deliver uh, basically it's a it's a UI. I mean it's a it basically walks the customer through. Um, they click cancel and it says, Hey, let's find out a little bit more information about what's going wrong. Um, so we capture some context and then we start walking them through basically different options as far as here, you know, you, you don't want to run them through 20 different options. So you kind of have to figure out what's the sequence that gets them to stay. So at that point you're operating almost as a plugin. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yep. Yep. That's, so that's where we start now. And then what we found was that it, we sort of reverse engineer the entire customer lifecycle. Sure. So we'll start at the very end. We'll figure out now what's going wrong. Uh, we'll find out and not just what's going wrong, but also what can be done to solve it on a personalized level. And so for that same customer that's canceling, you already have in your system somewhere other like transactional details, the yep. events and things. Yep. So we'll so, connect to those. So do you give them ways. like a different experience when they try to cancel based on the history that you know about the account? Yep. Yep. So what we'll do is that we'll sync up when one of our business customers signs up, then they can connect, you know, to a CRM or CDP or whatever. Um, and we'll get the context from there. So we'll take that, you know, so when you go to click cancel, you click cancel, basically it launches the, I mean, essentially the embedded of the widget there loads up and says, Hey, all right, let's figure out what's going wrong. Um, and it basically walks them through. We do a little bit of data capture there to figure out what's going wrong. Uh, you know, what could be done to save, you know, what could change their mind um, along with basically selecting the sequence of offers that gets them most likely to stay. So, and to kind of get, bring that full circle here, then, you know, so right now we're, we're saving about, on average, 35% of the people that go through it, which is that's huge, massive in yeah. comparison to the other solutions that are yeah, sure. out there. But part of what you do is also helping the companies identify people that could be at risk before they get that far, right? Yeah. What, now, what we're doing is we're starting with, uh, so the the application that handles the cancel, we're calling that one, that's, it's called retention engine. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is that's step one, because what we're also finding there is that when we, the data that we capture there is more effective at sort of the predictive. It adds more when right. you start when you start. It trains the in, the trains your algorithms, and and it also helps find out like if you find out that hey maybe you know for example one of the funniest things we found was that uh, when somebody when customers are going to cancel a seventeen percent discount is more likely to save them than a twenty percent discount. Why? We have no idea. Hmm. It's a weird thing. We had one customer that did it, and we just kind of. One of you know, one of somebody on the team saw it and was like, "This is kind of who throws out a seventeen percent discount?" A, um, and then B, why is it being selected so often? So we started advising it to a few more, and I again don't know why, but well, we we had an episode the other day about digital marketing, and that was one of the things we mentioned. I mentioned there was so much of this is A/B testing, right? And you're just trying different things, and sometimes the weirdest things have the different outcome. It's just very it can be very bizarre the randomness of these things. So in the retention engine, the widget that, in, that mm -hmm. plugs into uh, your, you are omni industry now, right? Meaning yeah. like, cause I think that the last time you were here, that's probably a year ago, maybe, maybe, even, even, more. maybe even longer. Right. Yeah. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about, it sounds like you guys have evolved this significantly. Um, you were focused on a small number of industries at the time. Mm -hmm. And yep. so now you fanned this out to be useful to lots of different industries. 
Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, ultimately, we say anything that's sort of a recurring, sure, you know, sort of thing. And I mean, and it, and that's actually just a starting point. Naturally, we want to make sure that we're, you know, the hardest thing for us has always been the, when asked, "Hey, could you solve this?" Yeah. The answer is always, "Yep." Well, and that was Which the next. That was great. the next question I had. So within like the retention engine widget, I think it. Businesses usually don't know what the hell's wrong with them. Like that's not an that's not a, a short sighted statement. You know, so many different businesses, especially big ones, are sometimes really aloof when it comes to like why are people quitting? Does does your from the data you collect does the widget also self adjust? Yes. Yeah, so they can right. they, and they can basically jump in there. So our customers can. Uh, we have one customer that literally spins. It wasn't our idea that they were going to spend that much time in the console looking at the data, but they're constantly looking at it. I mean, it's a pretty big customer, so they've got thousands of people that go click the cancel button. Yeah. Um, well, and, and being able to save even a small percentage of them would be a huge win. If oh, you get yeah. in big numbers, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Well, that's my question for you is, so based on your current uh, business that you do, do your customers have to, like, they're canceling thousands of people a month versus, like, say, Stackify, maybe we lose 20 customers a month, so we we wouldn't get a lot of value out of this because the volume is so low. Yeah. Um, well, so there's a couple different ways to look at it. We look at it as, hey, every business has endings and conclusions and there's got to be a better way to handle it, not just for, there's got to be value that can be extracted there, whether it's just information or if it's information plus saving a greater number of customers. Because ultimately, I mean, that's the one thing we kind of look at as a startup is that, you know, we want to go learn. The most important thing to do, I mean, outside of making money is, is, is to learn and to figure out what we're, you know, what can be done. So, uh, you know, we've, most of the customers that we have, they're B2, they're more B2C. Um, so they've got a larger volume. Um, that being said, you know, there's still customer, you know, if you have a business that, and customers cancel, um, the, the, ability for a retention engine to, to create better outcomes is still proving better than, you know, sort of like the, the phone call method. Since the last time I saw you, I listened to an audible about data science. So now I'm a data scientist, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. totally. You are. I mean, I find that most people that call themselves data scientists have a similar level of training <laughs> as to what I just mentioned <laughs> some days, but, but no, I learned that, um, I learned that, I mean, obviously with data science and machine learning, AI, the larger the data sets, uh, the better off you are sometimes. Right. Well then in case of the phone company, they were talking about the amount of data that they collect and it's so freaking massive that like there's even like a storage issue because they're required the phone companies are required to keep so much data for so long and they just have like such a mega amount of it it's like whoa where do we put it um is there a minimum amount of of quote data or sample size that you guys that ai needs to begin to be effective just no. on a general level so um i can get you the link um one of the things that we learned is that the, the, one of the big problems in any company adopting machine learning is that is that sort of idea that that's the that's the recurring theme is that you have to have a ton of data it's useless mm -hmm. and what we found is that it actually that's that's more harmful in a lot of cases because you can start with what we would call low dimensionality where you don't have that much data you would maybe have a lot of examples um, but you don't want to have that many features so um, the and, and what you want to be what you want to do in order to make it 
effective is sort of uh, you can use simpler algorithms to kind of get you off the ground and then be purposeful about the dimensionality. So that means like, hey, you know, we have we have location data. We have, you know, how where this customer is located. We have uh, how long they've been a customer. Um, the idea a lot of times is, well, just throw everything else we've got in there. Well, most of it's going to be useless. Um, so you want to be purposeful about, you know, hey, we're going to add this new feature in there and see if that gives us an uptick. Does this, is this effective? So we found that that ends up with, you end up with better results. You also start getting a lot uh, faster uh, return on investment. And then, then, then it becomes the question of, hey, okay, this looks good. How do we improve it? And it, that usually ends up being meaning, uh, let's, let's figure out some other features that we think might be important. Part of, part of these issues can be sunk by software developers that want to plan for every worst case scenario and everything, you know, they're like something working 80% of the time to most software developers is never good enough. They want it to work 101% of the time. And so it will fail because it doesn't work a hundred, like yep. working 80% of the time is an absolute failure to most software developers. And that's kind of a cultural problem with developers is they're I, like, yeah, very pessimistic. Like, well, it doesn't work in this scenario. And it's like, we could do a, a training. We have Mickey mouse in our office. I keep looking at Mickey. I'm like, we could easily build something to take pictures of Mickey and figure out and recognize that the picture has Mickey in it. Right. But some developer would be like, well, if it's an animated version of Mickey, it won't find it. We cannot ship this product. It is not good. Like that's literally the problem you run into with this stuff. Oh yeah. Whereas the business, you'd be like, well, like ninety percent of the time, yeah, we would find stuffed animals in Mickey, and that would be a huge win. Nope, not good enough. You, I've had this discussion. That's not just software developers. I've had that's end clients, users, pretty much everyone. Yeah. I've had this discussion going back to like the very first users we had at Gigabook. And I would talk to them and they'd say, this only does 90% of what I need it to do. I'm like, that's a huge win, right. man. Congrats. I would literally sometimes say, oh, that's great. And they'd be like, no, no. I'm like, if you automated 90% of anything, that's like a big win. Like done well, the 10, be happy. You only have 10% left. But, but the short sighted view of that was, it was often, no, this doesn't do what we need it to do. We can't, we can't use this. And I'm sitting there going, why not? Well, and it's like with what you do, you what you guys do, right? It's like we can help reduce churn, reduce cancellations. Even if it's 80% good, like that's a huge win. Yeah, there's outliers. We're never going to be perfect and whatever. But people get so hung up on this type of technology where they think it's going to solve all the problems. But, you know, it's baby steps and figure out how to continue to tweak and tune it. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that we, I mean, I, I, I have to claim that we did the exact same thing. You know, when we first started talking to customers, the idea when they said, Hey, what, what data do we need? And I would basically say all of it, all of it, yeah. give, give me all of it. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, we just, you know, like every startup you learn and go, Oh, Hey, that was a bad idea. Not only did that slow down the sales cycle and I mean, effectively slowed down how fast they were able to save customers because we could have rolled out what we had really easily and, and actually started saving customers immediately. Well, and you guys could be like, Hey, they canceled and we didn't predict that one. Our software sucks. Yeah. Well, you're not going to, you're not going to predict all of them. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Well, and at some point in time, yeah. it's like, it's good enough. It's, it's a huge value. Is that because sometimes people have legitimate reasons for canceling a subscription well, that sure, you just yeah. can't fix? Like, yeah, sure. I'm moving to New Zealand and I want a local <laughs> phone number there. I yeah. mean, I'm going to stop. And, you know, that, yeah. I mean, that part of it, um, 
you know, I, I think in anything that, you know, subscriptions are it now, you know, it used to, what was it 20 years ago when you get a actual disc? Hey, remember, remember CD-ROM? Hey, I used to sell computers at Sears and we'd give you $400 off that computer if you signed up for AOL or whatever. Mentioning things that are antiquated. <laughs> remember that? Old, remember those oh, days? Mentioning yeah. things that are antiquated, old, and no longer all the rage. Sears. Yeah. Right. Now, yeah, exactly. It's like someone said newspaper to me the other day and I learned, I said, what's a newspaper? And they looked at me like I was dumb. I was like, but seriously, Spe- like speaking of that, I saw the Kansas City Star is filing for, for bankruptcy. bankruptcy. I was actually yeah. a little excited. And the reason why is they send me these coupons on every Wednesday in the mail. And for the life of me, I cannot unsubscribe from the shit. Yeah. So I have to throw it away every Wednesday. I've emailed them multiple times begging them to stop mailing me these damn coupons. That's the world we live in. Yeah, and a good a good AI algorithm would figure out somehow that you never used them, want these and that they would save money by not sending yeah. them. I don't even know if you need an algorithm for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, we it's, clearly need machine learning. <laughs> it's like the phone book, you know, the gigantic phone book that still gets oh, thrown. They out find, I don't get that one anymore. Oh, oh god, thank I god. do. I hate that. I hate that. It oh. just goes right in my yeah. recycle. It's the way I'm I'm with like, those damn coupons. Does anyone use these? So yeah. apparently around where I live. But you're um, right. Everything these days is subscription based. Yeah. So but being able to hang on to that is the key. And you when, don't want people to cancel their subscriptions. Regardless of, of what stage your business is in, if you collect subscriptions, that's a KPI, key performance indicator of whether if you're a, a early stage startup, it's if you're gaining any traction. If you're growing, you know, and those are, these are things that are that are key ingredients in whether you maybe get funding or whether you do a lot of different things. Now, like you said, Matt, sometimes you can't, you know, like people will cancel their Gigabook subscription and they'll just say, I'm not using it. Meaning like no one is making appointments at yeah. my business because my business isn't that great. Well, and I think that's the kind I, of thing that Bellwether... I can't, I can't save that though. But that's one of the things that Bellwether could help with, right? Is to tell Gigabook, hey, you have customers that aren't really using the product. True. They're high risk to cancel. You need to call them and offer them some free training. Or something. Yeah. yeah. That's well, a good point. And, that's a great and, point. You know, one of the other things that we'll do on that is not only just find out, you know, we want to save the customers that can be saved. Uh, but we also, we want to find out a little bit more what's wrong. That way you can kind of figure out maybe there's, you know, a different tier that needs to be offered there for somebody that's maybe a little lower activity. Or, you know, a lot of times what we find is that, you know, uh, I think a lot of times when somebody goes to cancel, the immediate reaction is, oh, oh we'll cut the price. Yeah. Um, but what you find is that there, a lot of times it has nothing to do with that. And, and that's one of the nice things about the way that our system works is that it will, it, it figures out when that's available when that is a likely uh, resolution um, and when it's not sure. And, and when you may just say, Hey, guess what? We have this new feature coming. And, and that ends up being a, Oh, okay. Well for that, I might hang around. Well, from an overall business development standpoint, understanding why people don't want to use whatever it is that you do is pretty valuable as well. I mean, Absolutely. it tells you where you need to improve or what's wrong or so on and so you know, All right. So, do you, does Bellwether do, do you do other stuff other than customer retention? Um, we have some additional engines that are in there. We, we sell them on like sort of like an enterprise level. So what we do is we built the platform, the technology that's sort of the, you know, it, it basically automates these things, automates the, the different intervention. Then we have the prepackaged ones where we say, ah, oh, it's for this specific problem. 
Um, and Indus- then we industry have, kind of specific. Yeah, exactly. And then we have the different APIs then where we'll let, you know, a, a larger enterprise integrate those into their own I've system. got an idea for you. Okay. I think you need to make a mode where you go back to the business and you tell the business, these customers are your biggest pain in the ass and you need to cancel these customers. By the way, that's a great idea. <laughs> no, I've, t- I've talked about that a lot. Proactive. Well, I've talked right. about that a lot because I think that in, in a lot of <laughs> the Matt DeCourcy school of customer service <laughs> is non-standard. But there, you know, the customer isn't always right, and sometimes you can look at stuff like we fired a couple users at Gigabook because it, we had two different people. These are two separate users that at one point were eighty percent of support tickets in a given month. That's not because things were broken; they're just a pain in the ass. Yeah, and these people like uh, they make up fifteen dollars a month worth of revenue in both cases. Like I would rather just tell you to go use something else. I'd rather give you your money back and tell you to pound sand because it's a better business decision to you. First off, anyone that can put in 80% of all support tickets or requests. Wow. Not, not all churn is bad. Are they? Yeah. Right. That's my point is not all customers are great. Not all users are great. And you got to kind of pick and choose your battles. And, um, some of that, like a, a single user at Gigabook wants to churn. I mean, that's, we got to just kind of shrug our shoulders and move on. I'm more worried about retaining the people that have multiple seats in their account and, you know, seem to have some ability to grow. And that's, that's one of the things we, we handle for in the, in the context. Right. So, uh, we don't call it data. We'll call it context. And when we connect and then we can see, okay, hey, this is a customer that's actually, you know, maybe paying. Hey, that's yeah, always sure. helpful. Uh, and and maybe they're, they have a higher lifetime value. Um, and obviously, you're more willing. And so what we'll do there in a lot of cases is that we have uh, where, hey, if one of our high lifetime value customers decides they want to cancel, maybe we want to, maybe we want to talk to them first. Sure. So let's, let's instantly, let's route a call to that customer. And, and maybe that needs to be somebody higher up the food chain um, that takes that call. So I think another interesting use case. So you look at Stackify, you have a whole lot of users on Prefix is the free. Yes. Product. Yeah. So in some cases, some of those users are probably a lot more active than uh-huh. others. So being able to understand who to do you have an awareness of who is really using that and who you might be able to approach to say, hey, you might want to try the paid product a little bit and not a whole lot. But we have a, the slight amount of visibility of who downloaded it and if they actually use it. I see. But and and in those cases, you know, a conversion or a retention are kind of the same thing. Or they can be. And we're, we're going to re- release a new version of, of Prefix, our free product at Stackify. And one of the things we want to do in the new version is actually have a paid version too. So, um, And so ideally what we'd like to know is, hey, we have two or three users at this company using it. Okay, that's a signal to us of like, okay, we should find the manager there or somebody and figure out how do we sell this to the whole team. And I think there's some other triggers too. Like I think at one point we had discussed that if someone, if a user had like an actual domain, like a business domain, as opposed Versus to like Gmail, Gmail or yeah. something, like they were like much more likely to we, do something. We've looked a lot of that cohort kind of data on who signs up for, for even Stackify or paid product and figuring out do they convert or not convert. And yeah, people who sign up with Gmail accounts, like convert at like 1% or 2%, like something ridiculously low versus ones who have real business emails. Yeah. That's not really machine learning. 
<laughs> it was like pretty nah. simple like <laughs> not needed for that one. don't need it for that one so, a, a few minutes ago but you, these little things matter well they do sure. now a few minutes ago you mentioned you know getting a quote return on your investment because machine learning and ai are i think still relatively misunderstood just by the world um you know what kind of what kind of resources does a, an AI t- or machine learning type startup need, both from a development from a human standpoint, or even like server? I don't know. That's a good like, question. I mean, what do you what do you if I if I have an idea for developing some kind of machine learning or AI, like what kind of financial commitment am I looking at just to even prove a theory? Let me think about how to answer that. <clears throat> so I think the. The biggest thing is I think making sure that you understand that it's probably not a product itself. It's probably a feature of a product. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I've made that mistake before and, and thinking that just the technology itself was going to be like, oh, hey, this is going to end up being a home run when we had to do way more, way more, you know, talking to customers in order to kind of figure out what's, what's the application of it that's really valuable. Um, but as far as the resources go, I think as long as you start very simple, I mean, it's not, it, it kind of, and it kind of depends on which angle. So if you're using like a, a machine learning for a vision sort of thing, like you were using the, you know, the Mickey example, in that case, there are APIs, AWS has an, has an API that you could use that, that would get you quite a ways. And in that case, you have very, and very minimal, cheap. Yeah. Very minimal expense. You could, um, up, you could upload 20 pictures of Mickey, train it, and then you've got a little algorithm you can, or a little machine learning service you can use in them. You upload a picture of DeCourcy and it'll tell you if it's Mickey Mouse or not. Yep. And it's easy. easy. It's pretty easy to do. Easy. And, and what cost you? Like maybe, I don't know, quarter of a penny or something yeah. per, per request. So yeah, I think there's, it kind of depends. Now, if you're using, and same thing with the, if you're trying to build a chat bot, something along those lines, then there's APIs that you just use. You don't need to train the model yourself because ultimately, um, you know, when you start thinking about who has the most images and who has the most language, it's probably not a startup. It's one of the big players. So you might as well use one of those. Um, if you're, if you're doing more, uh, custom sort of non-vision, non, non-natural language machine learning, then, um, I mean, it can, it, it's tough to I hate to say, yeah, it depends, but it well, kind of depends. To, to follow up with what you're saying there, I think Microsoft Azure, I'm not as up to speed on um, AWS, I think has like 30 different, what they call cognitive services uh, APIs available that'll do things like you upload a photo to it and it'll tell you what's in the photo. Like, is there a dog? Is it outside? Is it indoor? Is it like all those things, right? The colors. Uh, then there's like text analysis, like getting sentiment analysis yep. of the text or summarizing an article and telling you what it's about, um, doing text to speech or voice to text, like a lot of different types of services that are sort of machine learning. Yeah. Oh yeah. Can, you know, different but that's, kinds that's of what you're talking about is don't reinvent the wheel in some cases. There's services for those. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's available. And, and think about it from the, I think uh, you always want to think about it from like, okay, well, what, what am I doing here? What is, and who, it, you know, if there was a player out there that had a ton of data on this specific thing, then you might look into them and they may have an API to do it. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you could use that. They're going to have more data on it, um, like sentiment analysis. You know, I'm, Twitter should have had this one out a long, long time ago and had an API to see what's a nasty tweet. What's somebody complaining? 
which Google has those. But well, we've had Sickweather in here who does some of that mm-hmm. with Twitter to look for trending conversations about illness. You know, like, and I don't know enough about how that works, but you know, enough people in Oakland say, "I feel like shit today," and that might mean that it something's heading that way. As all of us turn our heads to cough. <laughs> well, I say that. <laughs> I think so. I think there are a lot of off-the-shelf APIs available to do things like analyze pictures or maybe even speech or video or things like that. But the the use cases that are not as standard off-the-shelf is like I have a big data set. I have a bunch of data in a database. What do well, I do with we it? We need to talk. And that's about, what like Bellwether yeah. does, right? But we it's have like to we talk about people this... too. We're talking about like we're talking about server resources right, right now and different APIs, but. You know, I've, I've learned cause we employ a couple at full scale that, you know, they quote data science, machine learning guys, they trend towards specific programming languages, Python being one of the more popular ones. So a lot of Python programmers are, um, prone to automation. You're a Python developer, aren't yes. you? Is that yeah. like your original? Yep. That's our, that's, that's, your, that's your first hustle there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it wasn't my, my personal <laughs> first, but, but right. it's, and it's, it's sort of our core we use it for the large majority and and i had never run into this but a lot of the quote data science machine learning guys also use r Mm -hmm. and that wasn't that wasn't a programming language that i was super familiar with or quite honestly i'd ever even heard of until we started talking about machine learning and data data analytics and stuff like that yeah more of a i guess i would say more of like an analyst's sort of language yeah, I don't run it. We don't have a whole lot of people that are, quote, proficient at R. And then you've been talking about image and optical recognition, mm-hmm. which um, a lot of computer vision mm-hmm. drives a lot of that. And that is sometimes popular with Python developers, but has seemed to have given many C++ developers a new renaissance and thing and, you know, just something else to to squirrel around with. So, you know, C++, which was typically, uh, you know, used for embedded type stuff, meaning the software that was in your hardware. Well, for what you guys do, does it really require a lot of server resources? Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. That's and primarily it, our, you know, we, we're cloud-based. and So that's yeah. just churning away in there, and it's basically running the, R, in layman's terms, it's running the RPMs. Yep. And looking through a bunch of stuff, but those different languages are what part of what um, is going into that. What about like actual data science? Because at some point, doesn't a person need to determine whether the machine is actually learning or not, or tries, or set some kind of goal or specific outcome that we're aiming for? Yeah, and it. it, I mean, it kind of. Yeah. So we have we have. Uh, a handful of data scientists on our team that are that are basically checking these sorts of things, trying to figure out what is you know significant, what isn't, um, and then and then of course we also have our enterprise customers, and our enterprise customers then there's additional sort of like there's stuff you know we have uh, with the way with the system we use there's a problem known as the sort of cold start. Um, or you see it now like if you ever run any Facebook ads, you know, now they have the little oh it's learning right now so you don't because there's not any data there it's it's you know there's there's not much going on so what we'll do is then we can kind of jump 
to dumb that down a little bit, when you say the quote learning, it's figuring out who to serve your ads to, which means yep. that in that first day, your results might not be great, but because it doesn't know on, anything. Be, yeah. yeah. It doesn't know what, what's going to be relevant. Now that, that that's why I too. often wake up old ads rather than create new ones. Yeah. Cause it's got a lot of information in there. I'm yeah. sure it'll actually probably know pretty soon. I think I saw something the other day that they were going to test out or roll out something where you, you load up your image and it'll tell you whether or not it's going to be, it's going to work or not. It already like does that. Yeah. Instagram and Facebook. Well, they do that on the simplest basis of saying like, Hey, you have too much text in yeah, here and this yeah. won't, this won't produce a reasonable, the, the numbers tell us that you will get less action. And which by the way, I've charged forward through that disclaimer before and they're right. They're right. I don't know what it is, but like, for example, on Instagram, less is more. Not, I mean, not always the case, but less is more. Now, in, in regards to less being more, what you always get more of is satisfaction when you play mixtape the game, Master Watson. You know, I, I uh, was walking by Joel earlier, who is the founder. Of he is. And our, and our chief marketing officer. And he told me one, a great card that we have not done yet that I feel like maybe we should do today. But I'm holding the card in my hand already. <sighs> okay. Do you want to play your I a, card? I got a good one. All right, fine. Okay. Anyway, Matt Watson has drawn a virtual <laughs> card out of the physical mixtape deck. You can go to mixtapethegame.com, and you can also download Mixtape the app on iOS and Android. All well, right, Matt, would you go ahead, okay. sir? So uh, you're at the grocery Which, store. Wait, wait a minute. We... Who knows the Matt three okay. doesn't even know what we're doing I'm gonna here yet. Give you a scenario and then there. you have to pick a song. Oh. And we will all name a song and then we will vote. You may not vote for yourself. Okay. You're at the grocery store. You see the mechanical horse. Your kid gets on the mechanical horse and rides it. You put in the quarter. What song is playing in the head of the mechanical horse? Can I go? Yeah. Tequila. <laughs> like that horse just wants a yeah, drink. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I can't play the band "Fuck You" by CeeLo Green because I feel like once again that's the best answer. Am I wrong? Um, man. I'm I gonna, guess it depends. I'm going with the theme to Rawhide. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna go with Marvin Gaye's. Let's get it on. Dude, you're gonna get that band. That's, That's my answer to everything. Also, kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. This horse is <laughs> singing that to my kid. I, I guess. I guess we should play a "Old Town Road" by Lil Nas. Uh, would you like to change your answer? No. <laughs> I'm voting for Moody. Oh, what was yours again? Yeah. Tequila. I don't know why. Well, I I'm voting. I'm going to be honest. I'm voting like for you out of lack of better <laughs> options. But, All right, I'm going to go with the tequila as well. Well, then you've won. I mean, the song with only one word in it should always win. <laughs> it, is a, it is a mechanical horse, right? So, How much of that can I whistle without violating royalty? Tequila. Okay, well, here, something that does not require machine learning or artificial <laughs> intelligence is the golden supreme money gun. Go ahead and fire that. Oh, I'm going to suggest you shoot that right at Watson. Just go ahead and, and unleash. <laughs> Well played, sir. Like well that. played. Did you guys paint that? No. Someone else probably did and then oh. sold it as a golden money gun. But it's yes. Pretty well done. Yes. Anyway, congratulations nice. on your mixtape win. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. And I want to point out that that was done 
with no help from machine learning or artificial <laughs> intelligence, which you can learn a lot more about when you go to bellwether.com, B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-R.com. Also find a note in the, or a link in the show notes. Now, oh, these guys are hard at work picking up the ones. <laughs> I need these later. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. I am not going another to podcast, ask. Another podcast. What are you, what For are what, wait, what? Are you recording another podcast? Oh, we are. Today? Nah, later oh. tomorrow. Oh, okay. All right. So I think one important question on the on as we begin to wind down here is, Matt... Is artificial intelligence going to kill us all? Yes. Said Watson. I think it's a long, I think general artificial intelligence. We got a while to wait. Famous last words. Yeah. Right before. Yeah. Is that what, is that what John Connor said right before Skynet took over? He's like, nah, this isn't going to do anything. (laughs) Will Smith will save us. Was that I am legend? Nah, or I robot. Oh yeah. There's too many of that. Um, (laughs) He always saves us. I mean, overall, like I said, I think that, you know, I, I, do you have any other input about the future of AI or like, I mean, what do you, where do you see this going? Because when the way I see it being used is just doing massively redundant things in many cases, like you look at AI that's mapping stars where there's like a gazillion of them and figuring stuff out, or then you have these, you know, more useful and utilitarian applications like Bellwether, which are helping businesses provide a more fluid customer experience or maybe learn what's wrong. Yeah. And well, I think that's, that's probably the biggest benefit that we'll probably see on a day-to-day basis is that, I mean, hopefully, hopefully these businesses that, I mean, the businesses that survive are going to be using these sorts of things to make the experiences better and, and, and not just better in general. I think that's, that's been sort of what's happened pre today is a lot of, Hey, what's the best experience? But again, um, you know, this sort of technology enables us to have it. What's the best one for me? What, you know, give me the experience that I'm going to enjoy the most and give you the experience that you're going to enjoy the most. And it may not be the same. What do you think the future is, Matt? Well, or Master I, think, I think a good example of, of you mentioned is like advertisements, you know, it doesn't bother me at all if Hulu or whatever shows me ads that are more relevant to me. Like I don't need to see ads for Viagra or whatever, right? Like all sorts of things. I don't need to see ads for, but show me ads about something I care about. That's cool. Are you seeing a lot seeing. of ads for Viagra? Sometimes. I mean, it depends if on you what quit, you watch. If you quit Googling it and <laughs> well, asking Alexa about yeah. it, it would probably show up a lot less. You know, yeah. I mean, but, you know, I, it doesn't bother me if, if these sort of things are more tailored for me. That's cool. It's I'm better. Cool. I'm good with that. Yeah. I, I think. Just tell me when Tommy Bahama is coming out with some cool new t-shirt I want to buy. Please, I'll buy that. Another weird example. <laughs> Why? I don't. I've never seen you wearing it. Is that what you're wearing right now? What's I that am. swordfish? It's a Tommy Bahama shirt. Oh, there you go. Oh man, invent AI to teach you how to pick out shirts, man. Yeah. <laughs> I I think the thing that I already see that I like, and you know, I I think the term bot, like you hear bot, and it often gets a negative connotation. I think that bots are often really good. And I say that because you talk about a chat bot and people are like, oh, this is annoying. You're probably talking to a chat bot more than you think it would, than you would. The whole purpose of a lot of that stuff is just to get you to a solution sooner. Well, I was, we were at a meeting earlier and we were talking about how do we get support for something? And they're like, 
the only way we can get support for this thing is we have to call them. You can't even submit it online. And he's like, and it takes like an hour and you talk to somebody from some foreign country who is completely clueless and you can't understand. Well, that's my bring point. Bring me we, the bot, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, and part of that is just, you know, general, okay. Um, you're calling and it's like, hi, how can I help you? And you're like, customer service. And they're like, you know, and it says, okay, directing you to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's not customer service. And, you know, these kind of general things are, um, you know, I think that it, it'll be impossible to truly measure the satisfaction and the lack of like, how many times have you just got pissed off at something or have you ever yelled at one of those things? You're yes. like, yes. Well, you mentioned earlier about being able to cancel versus you have to call to cancel. Yeah. And I had this with like Sirius XM. I was trying to cancel no, the and there's worst, live dude. chat and I'm like, I just want to cancel on the live chat. And they're like, no, sir, you have to call. I'm like, why the hell do you have a fucking job? <laughs> yeah. Why do you work the live chat? Yeah. What is, what do you do here? And that's my point. So they you eventually can see, canceled for me. I went off on them. I'm like, this is bullshit. And you clearly are passionate on the subject right now. But my point is, is like, that's a frustrating thing. Top and notches. just generally being able to alleviate human frustration is a good thing. Yeah. Because it's well, hard it's hard to get off that call where you're pissed off yeah. at serious XM. Why don't I call and, you for and, half an hour? And now you cancel. go now you go talk to your wife or your kids and you're like and they're like, Daddy, can we have food? And you're like, No. And you're like, yeah, wait a minute. Wait well, a minute. and how likely are you to go back to now? <laughs> Never. I had the same experience, by the way. I mean, I think sometime should, I may go back. Yeah, sure. I think you my should current, be, so my current card doesn't even support it. So I think if I think if you can't just cancel online. It's obnoxious. It's 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 a I, I mean it's a regulation actually in California. It is now. Yeah. But that's yeah. a newer thing. Yeah. And other things too are Thank like you, California. That's like, the first but time requiring, I've ever said that. also requiring to tell you that a subscription's about to renew. How many things do you like get renewed and you're like, wow, I now just realized I've been bit being billed for that. Yeah, I don't like that either. Well, that's a challenge though. Like we have 200 employees at full scale and like that how ha- I mean, I hate to I'd love to tell you that we're remarkably efficient at managing all that, but sometimes that's the case and you look back and you're like, "Jeez." Okay. So we once again, Matt, thank you for coming in. Check out Bellwether. Um that's B E L L W E T H R.com. You can also find Matt on the Twitters at Matt M-A-T, Moody. Dropped one T. Yeah, yeah. What's a guy with no arms and no legs? A Matt. Matt, yeah. Yeah, it's like ah, the ah, worst ah, joke ah, in the history of Matt's. Hey, it's true. You guys, if anyone can empathize with me. So we end episodes of Startup Hustle these days with the Founders Freestyle, and normally we let that be a freestyle, but I have a request for you today. I would actually like it if you could weigh in and give some advice to those that want wish or hope to someday include either machine learning or AI and what they're doing now, or to actually build a business around it. Um, uh, and don't say don't. Uh, okay. I would say, <laughs> um, make sure you talk to just talk to before you even get started, talk to your potential customers. Find out what, and, and, and not necessarily um, do you want to hear, you know, what they think they want, but just hear about what the problems are. Hear, you know, really understand the problem. Um, and then from there, you kind of walk your way back. Don't start with, hey, it's going to be machine learning for, for X. 
Because I think at this point, most of those things are features. So it should be more about the problem that you want to solve. And then you're just going to use this technology in order to solve it or better solve it. I think it's a good example. At, <clears throat> excuse me, at Stackify, you know, we do application monitoring. And so we get lots of metrics data, you know, like say the CPU on a server or something. It's just a simple example. We don't need machine learning to do that. But if we added machine learning to it, it would be a feature. It would be an enhancement. It wouldn't be the entire product itself. Um, but there's another company I just heard about in our space. So for example, dealing with log data that comes from software, it's a lot of data, right? And usually uh, Stackify does this too. We handle log data, but there was actually a company that took all the log data, but the only thing they did with the log data was actually apply machine learning to it. You couldn't actually log into their tool and view the logs. They got the logs, they did the machine learning and threw the logs away, which was kind of cool. They're like, Hey, you get terabytes of data you're never going to look at we're just going to apply some machine learning to it and tell you the interesting things you need to know like there's lots of really cool interesting ways to use machine learning um yeah i guess in that some, case i would say that's that's largely like the the end result though is that it's providing some sort of value yes, to you yep. like hey here this is something going on that's relevant to you so that's ultimately the problem it's solving is that you don't have to go wade through it yeah and say you can't hey, look at terabytes of data yeah well there's a there's a simple thing here that so my machine learning algorithm detected the word feature a lot during and from both of you yeah and it, when i hear the word feature i've literally trained myself to think what's the benefit mm-hmm and a feature without a benefit is worthless. Yep. It's not it's not sellable or it is 10 times more difficult to sell. So you mentioned if you're going to incorporate AI or machine learning into whatever it is that you do, talk to people, figure out what it's going to do, but if it doesn't have a benefit to it, you're just adding features. Like there's yep. not if you can't you're not necessarily putting something in there that you can sell. Now, if you can explain like what you just mentioned, Matt, you talked about looking at log data. Looking at log data is a thing of the past. Think of all the time you're going to save. Yeah. And, you know, like the benefit of using Stackify and go check it out, stackify.com, is that it reduces the amount of time you spend troubleshooting errors. And the benefit of that is you save manpower. Yep. You find problems. You find problems faster. And Finally. that's a benefit. Improve That's yourself. a benefit. Looking at an app score or a couple things or things like that, those are features unless you can put those, put the benefits into play. And, you know, if you, if you are doing a, anything that's a B2C or B2B product, you got to help people either sell more or spend less. And that's the key. That should be the benefits that you're chasing and in the event that you can, you have an idea or the ability to help a business or a consumer or someone do both, then you're really winning. I mean, you got to get one of the two, right. To even stand a chance. Otherwise you're just selling fluff, you know, and especially when it's like, no one's going to ever use a business product that doesn't help them sell more or spend less. Yep. Like the whole Pretty entire much. point of everything that you do in a B2B world would, is one of the two, right? I would buy Bellwether if it could reduce my churn. Boom. And there you go. And that's the benefit of it. Yep. So, you know, when you get into the whole features versus benefits thing, if you can't, I always say it's real simple. I just use a simple acronym, FAB, features, advantages, and benefits. 
So what is the feature? That means what does it do? What's the advantage over the way you do it now or the com- com- competitive example? And then the benefits, what what do I get? And a lot of times the advantage has got to be 10x greater than the current way they do it. Well, sure, because yes. it takes time to it put something new in. That, and that's the problem it. with most entrepreneurs are like, I built a better mousetrap. And they're like, they have a hundred so, other problems. The building yep. is on fire. They don't get around mice. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I was. That's uh, the reality. Oh, yeah, it, totally. I, I, yeah, I mean, how many social networks have there been? Right. Right. That's a new one. Speaking of which, my, my, you can check out my MySpace page. And your TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're both up to date. But, well, our, <laughs> I, I should say our TikTok, <laughs> Startup Hustle has one, which um, gets like no engagement. So thank you. <laughs> My machine learning algorithm is going to get to work figuring out how to get more views on TikTok. Anyway, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.